0: Hey, thanks for tuning into our podcast today. My name is Derek Puckett. I'm the lead pastor at Renewal Church of Chicago. If you want to know more information about us, you can head to our website at RenewalChicago.com. I pray today that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your soul. You got a Bible? Meet me in John chapter 4. John chapter 4. Again, we're going to look at the why, uh, we're going to look at the how this morning. Last week, we kind of looked at the why and um, the big vision of multi-ethnic, multiculture. Today, we're going to look at how do we do this thing? How do we do it? And it it may get tough at times, so y'all stick with me. I'm going to be all up in your kitchen this morning making biscuits and all kind of stuff, okay? Uh, So y'all stick with me, uh, even in the tough times of the message. John chapter 4, we're going to read the first six verses. But I implore you to go home in your own time, read the whole passage as I'm going to preach through the whole chapter today, but I'm just going to read the first six verses in your hearing this morning. So if you're ready and you got it, go ahead and stand to your feet. If you're able, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Hello to you online if you're with us. If you got it, go ahead and say, got it. it. All right, now, hear now the reading of God's word starting in verse 1. It says, Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through. If you got your Bible open, remember that word, had. He had to pass through Samaria. And so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. Very word of God. Amen. It's one of my favorite passages when we talk about being multi-ethnic. Today I want to preach on gospel intentionality gospel intentionality let's pray together father thank you for this morning we thank you for your goodness we do give you praise and give you honor for the word that is written your word and god i do ask as i pray each week as i stand here and i preach let it not be my words but let me be hidden behind your cross god so that as i speak people would hear your words May I decrease so that you increase in this place. Father, open our ears and our hearts to hear what it is that you have for us this morning. Get glory in this place. And it's in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus that we all say together, amen, amen. You can be seated. Welcome on this first Sunday of Black History Month. Yes. We really celebrate all that have gone before us. Such a good Sunday to talk about why we are who we are today. Speaking of that, Martin Luther King, he had a dream. Many of you know this speech that he gave, his famous speech, where he stands at the foot of the Lincoln Memorial. Lincoln, being the very man who wrote and signed the Emancipation Proclamation and freed the slaves. MLK would stand on the steps of the Lincoln Memorial and he'd give a speech to some 250,000 people and probably millions more that watched or listened by way of radio. They heard this message. Uh, This would be the moment that many people, at least in their minds, marked the civil rights movement. He would stand there and he'd call for the end of racism. Beginning with saying over a hundred years after the Emancipation Proclamation, the Negro is still not free. Throughout the speech, he would point to documents like the Declaration of Independence and Constitution saying that there was a promise made that all men were created equal, including black people, but that America has not held up to those words. And so all throughout this message, he's speaking of this dream, this dream of racial equality throughout our nation. He gives people hope. He gives them a dream in a time of need. He intentionally engages himself in an issue that many black people at the time would not have even touched because of the brutality and the hatred of white people at the time towards black people. And MLK along with many others stood up when nobody else would and although we're not all the way to the promised land as MLK would call it we are much better off than we were back then. Who knows where we would be today if it had not been for MLK and others that stood up for what they knew was right. There wouldn't be a renewal. Hey, friends, listen, listen. We are the fruit of the many who labored during the civil rights movement and before us. That's why we're here. You look around this church, this didn't happen. What we get to partake in on Sunday morning with black, white, Hispanic, and Asian, and all the other coming together to worship. This didn't happen 50 years ago. I'm talking 50 years ago, it didn't happen. And sadly, today, even though we get to worship in this place, and although MLK and all of those fought for the liberties that we get to experience today, 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning is still the most segregated hour of the week in our churches. And so, although we've come a long way, there's still a long way to go. What we do here on Sunday mornings with many different ethnic groups and socioeconomic groups coming together is an anomaly across our city and our nation. But hear me, I don't believe that it should be an anomaly. Jesus died for the sins of the world. You and me, people who are not Jewish, different ethnicities. So hear me, as Christians, Jesus' death is to compel us to live our lives in such a way that these dividing walls of hostility between race and socioeconomics and all these other divisions, they come down. And listen, we don't do this because we want to or we think it's cool. No, we do this because this is what Jesus did for us. When he steps out of heaven out of love to come down here and die for us, he came down here for a people who are not like him. We had nothing in common with him. We weren't sinless, but yet he dies for those that are in sin, who are not the same ethnicity as him. He crosses that line and loves us first. So we, we do this and we fight for this because Jesus did it first. So, so my point in all of what I'm saying right here is that MLK was not the first or the only one that confronted racial and social injustices head on. But as we see in our text today, you're going to see that Jesus did the same thing throughout his life in order for the message of grace and truth to spread. If Jesus, listen, if he was not intentional about engaging these lines, racial injustices, then not only would the Samaritans on our text not know him, but none of us would either. Again, as I said last week, being multi-ethnic, when we talk about being a multicultural church, it's not only biblical, but this is God's design. So today, I want to focus more on the how again. I'm not necessarily going through the vision of what we did last week, so if you missed it last week, go back and listen. But today, I really want to talk about the how. Like, how do we do this thing? How do we do life, and what does it take? And so, again, it's it's going to be some tough moments in this passage today. Y'all stick with me. We're going to make biscuits together this morning, I promise. We're going to look at the how. I got four points. Good preachers have three, so y'all bear with me this morning. (laughs) We got four. Number one, we have to be knowledgeable of our history. We got to be knowledgeable of our history. Number two, we have to be intentional got to be intentional. Number three, we have to be willing to engage others. Number four, we have to be motivated by the gospel. We got to be motivated by the gospel. In our passage today, Jesus here tells us that he just left Judea and he's traveling to Galilee, as you'll see in verse three. Now, the interesting thing about this text is that in verse 4, it says that Jesus had to, remember that word had to, he had to go through Samaria. Now, the truth is when you do a, a study of it, the quickest way to get to Galilee is to go through Samaria. It's about a four-hour journey. But Jews didn't like Samaritans, Samaritans didn't like the Jews, so what would happen is that Jews would travel hours on end and days around Samaria to get to Galilee. The reason for this is that there is this long-standing history of hostility. There is a long-standing hatred between uh, the Jews and Samaritans that goes all the way back to 722 BC. It began when the Assyrians took over Israel and they came into the land and they procreated. And what came out of this was a people called the Samaritans. Jews to this day still call them half-breeds, don't like them, dogs. Then some years later, during the Persian period, Jews were allowed back into Jerusalem in order to rebuild the temple, but the Samaritans tried to keep them from coming back in to rebuild the temple. They didn't want to see the city rebuilt because of their racial and cultural hatred towards the Jews. But the Jews, on the other hand, they're still out of pocket too because they wouldn't allow the Samaritans to help rebuild the temple with them because they wanted to keep the purity of their own race. And so with this bit of information and history, it's easy to see that there was an immense amount of hatred on both sides, both Jewish as well as Samaritans. It was racial and cultural hate towards one another, and it had been there for hundreds of years. And the point I want you to get with this is that You got to remember this. When there's any amount of hostility between different cultures or ethnicities, there's always a history. There's always a history. Now, listen, we can't change the history, but we have to acknowledge it in order to move forward. You can try to neglect it, but you really need to acknowledge the history in order to move forward. Now, I got to step into your neighborhood a little bit more with this. I told you we're going to be all up in the kitchen this morning. I want to camp out here a little bit. Because much of the problem we have in America with race, is that we don't know the history. We try to neglect it, we'll just move on forward. We, we, we don't like to think about it or we neglect it. Even our history books don't really tell you about the problems with race in our society. We, we've never heard about scientific racism. Scientific racism that said black people, because of their big lips and nose, is derived from a people with le- leprosy, which now made them a less than race, which gave some scientific reasoning to say that they should be slaves. We, we forget about Jim Crow laws in the South that, that mandated segregation where black people couldn't drink from certain water fountains or go to the same bathroom as white people. And if they did, they could be beaten to death, strung up just for drinking water. We forget about that. We forget about Emmett Till, Chicago native, 14-year-old boy that traveled down to Mississippi to visit his relatives. And supposedly it was said he was whistling at a white woman as she was in the store. Three days later, he'd be woken up in the middle of the night, drug out of his house, have one eye gouged out of his head, shot in the head, he strung up have a 70 pound cotton gin tied around his neck with barbed wire and thrown in a river couldn't even recognize him see and and there's many more and much more that i could talk about but the point is that, is that many of us have an ignorant knowledge of history we are ignorant when it comes to history. And when I say ignorant, that doesn't mean you're dumb or stupid. You don't, you don't understand. It, it's that the root word of ignorant is ignore. So, so we choose to ignore the systems and problems in place where we say things like, well, you know, that wasn't my people back then. wasn't my relatives, I, ain't, I ain't had nothing to do with that. And we try to just, like, well, we'll just get through it. We'll just get through it. Don't even worry about it, no, no. And as a result, you know what happens? We act nonchalant towards incidents in Ferguson, Missouri with Michael Brown, Eric Garner saying I cannot breathe, Tamir Rice, Alton Sterling, Philando Castile, Breonna Taylor while she's sleeping in her bed, or George Floyd with a knee on his neck some 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. And listen, listen when I say this, I'm not just talking about majority culture either. Minorities, we have an ignorant knowledge too sometimes when it comes to history. You know, for years, what kept black people pushing through slavery, what kept us pushing through the civil rights movement, was the knowledge of what those that had gone before us did for us to get to where we are. And then it boggles me, because with all of the privileges that we have today, Brandon, it boggles me that some of us just struggle trying to work hard now. Mm. We just forget. Friends, here's the point. In order for us to move forward, we have to have an adequate knowledge of history. We have to know where we've come from in order to know where we're going. We have to know where we've come from in order to know what we're fighting for. We got to know where we're looking to, where we're going, because we got to know. And we only know that if we remember or study where we've come from. Because here's the truth, and I just want to give you a little bit more history around this, because it, those words that are written in the Declaration of Independence where it says that, that, that all men were created equal, that didn't originate there. That originated in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Oh, yeah. uh-huh. When God says, no, I'm a form man and women out of, in my image, and he takes the dust of the earth and he... Blows Numa, the breath of life, the spirit of God into it. And man comes from that. But not only Adam and Eve come from that. Every person, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, and alike, come from that. All formed in the image of God. Yeah. This is God's design. So, family, we don't fight for racial equality or to be able to do life with other, each other in a multi-ethnic setting because we feel like it's right or it's cool. No, we fight for it because it's historically... This 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 all started with God. We have to know where we've come from in order to know where we're going or else we fight for the wrong reasons. Now, let me come back to the text Let me bring it back down. You look at verse four here. We got to notice that Jesus knows all of this history. Watch what happened. He knows the history. He knows the hatred between the Jews and Samaritans. And he still decides to go through Samaria. Jesus did not have to go through Samaria. He could have just traveled around like everybody else does. But when you look at the text, verse 4, it says that he had to. There's that word. He had to. Underline it. Remember, he had to go through Samaria. The word had in the Greek is pronounced deis, D-E-I. And it, it, it means it was necessary. And so this word is almost always used when God or Jesus, they choose to do something by divine providence. Which means, don't miss it, that Jesus did this on purpose. It wasn't an accident. He wasn't just tired. He was intentional and went through Samaria. This lets us know, hear me, again, as I said last week, That as Jesus is breaking all of these cultural traditions, he's breaking all of the hostility, he's deliberately going through this. Listen, in order to see racial reconciliation or seeking to be a multi ethnic church, this this, forces us out of our comfort zone. It it, it forces us to have to go against some cultural norms here. Jesus is doing this on purpose, but yet Jews don't do this at all. I, I mean, you gotta, if you don't believe me that it forces you out of your comfort zone, look at the text. Y'all, this can't be comfortable. Jesus is traveling with 12 dudes for four hours. And I can imagine these guys murmuring and complaining the whole time. Y'all ever been with people where you had to spend time and they just complain the whole time? Four... This is worse than are we there yet. You know, four hours, like, all oh, my parents laugh because it's like they're just complaining. Like, Jesus, what you doing, Bro. We don't like these people. We don't go through this place. Why We not No, Jesus. They actually leave Jesus when he sits down at the well. This couldn't be easy. But Jesus had to set aside his rights. He set aside his comforts and his cultural norm. He set aside what people think about him to go through Samaria because he was on a mission. He's on a mission. He, he doesn't let cultural boundaries or divides get in the way. Now, watch this. Watch it, because look at how he approaches her. Look how he approaches the situation. He doesn't go in guns blazing. He doesn't say, you know what? You know, I know it's a racial divide, but forget all that. You know, we're we good. Let's just keep on moving. we good. Right? We're going to get past it. No, don't miss this. Because sometimes, if not most of the time, when it comes to issues of race, when, they, when we approach them, we do it the wrong way. We do it the wrong way. Jesus doesn't do that. The text says he stops at Jacob's well. Now, this well, follow me. If I'm not in your neighborhood, I'm going to be there really quickly. He says this well right here, it offered shade. It offered a place of rest for people that were weary. They they can come to this place and they can get something to drink. And so this was a place, uh, even more, it was common ground between Jews and Samaritans because The Jewish people and Samaritans both looked at Jacob as their forefather. And so this is a place of ancestry for them that they both acknowledge. So Jesus is not only intentional in his travel, but watch this. He's intentional in where he meets her. He meets her on common ground. Now, this is problematic, though, for many of us, because many times... When we're trying to reach other people that are different than us, that are not like us, different ethnicities, we're not willing to meet them where they are. We want them to come where we are. You come here, you don't want to go there. We don't meet on common ground. But Jesus here in this text, a Jew who did not congregate culturally with Samaritans, he intentionally meets her at a place where they have something in common, and y'all, she's comfortable. But even more than that, listen, she's not just comfortable. Jesus, even though he meets her at a place that's comfortable for him or for her, he doesn't lose who he is in doing so. He doesn't change who he is to meet this lady where she is. He still keeps his message of truth and grace. See, a lot of times we meet people where they are, but we got to change who we are to get to them. Whoa. Jesus doesn't change anything. Tony Evans in his book, One and Brace, I love this book. If you haven't got it, it's one of the best written on racial reconciliation and gospel. How do we do this thing? He says this. He says he, did, he just didn't let who he was stop him from being what he was called to be. In other words, Jesus didn't let his history, his culture, race, and background get in the way of ministering to a woman who had a spiritual need and who would meet him on common ground. Likewise, Jesus allowed the woman to retain her history, her culture, and experiences as a Samaritan. See, sometimes when we're seeking reconciliation, we may think We have to be something else in order to see change. Did did you catch that? Mm. If you're black, this means you don't have to act white in order to have white friends. Or vice versa. Any other ethnicity. Be who you are. It's like the movie White Man Can't Jump. Y'all ever seen that? Not not I'm not talking about the new one. I'm old school. The old movie, White Man Can Jump, you know, where. You got Billy Doyle, who's played by Woody Harrelson. Y'all seen that movie before? Don't act like y'all too holy. Y'all ain't seen this movie. (laughs) Played by Woody Harrelson. And he's a pretty good basketball player. And then he has a friend, Sidney Dean, who's played by Wesley Snipes. And they're playing basketball together. And... And they're, they're opposites, and then they start running this game with other people, and they're starting to make a lot of money playing basketball together. They get to know each other's families. You even have scenes where in the car, they're listening to each other's music. So friendship starts to happen. A relationship starts to happen centered around basketball, and they know each other. But there's one problem in this friendship. Billy just swears he can dunk. And so Sydney, who always dunks the ball, is like, bro, you can't dunk. You just can't do it. You can't do it. And so they just want all this money at the tournament. And they go out to the court. And Billy's like, I, I, I'll bet all this money. It's Woody Harrelson, white guy. He's like, I, I'll bet all this money. I can, I, can, I can dunk the ball. And Sydney's like, all right, whatever. Let's go dunk the ball then. And so they sit out there all night. And Woody can't dunk to save his life. Ends up giving all his money to Sydney. What's the moral of the story? If you can't dunk, stop trying to dunk. If you're white and you like wearing Birkenstocks and Tevas and Columbia boots, then you don't have to start wearing Jordans and Air Force Ones to, to relate to black people, okay? The same way around. I mean, you don't just be who you are. God made you who you are. You're going to be the same race when you get to heaven. So hear me. Appreciate who you are. He made you special, fearfully and wonderfully made in his image. Made you with all your cultural background and everything that you bring to the table. You bring that to the table. Get to know one another. You don't have to change. You're special. You bring something to the table too. But here's the problem. We live in a culture that doesn't manage differences or tensions well. And so we end up, either because of our pride or fear, alienating anyone from another culture to join us, or we end up losing all of our cultural significance in order to to assimilate. Listen, listen. Assimilation doesn't help anyone. It just devalues culture. If I have to lose who I am in order to meet you where you are, then what I'm ultimately telling you is that you're better than me. This does not bring about true reconciliation, but instead it brings about more hopelessness. Because now people either don't fit in or they feel less than. Jesus in the text is extremely intentional in how he does this. He meets this woman at a place where he can intentionally engage her, at a place of comfort, a place that's common. He doesn't make her leave her context or her culture to meet him. Instead, he meets her where she is at a common place. So let me pause here and let me ask you. Are you intentional with other people? Are you meeting other people on common ground? Are you comfortable with who you are? Or are you trying to assimilate and become something you're not? Let me say it this way. Do you celebrate the cultural creativity of God and engage other people? This all leads to where we are next in the text because Jesus, after he acknowledges the history, he intentionally engages her. What we see next is that you have to be willing to engage. You gotta have intentionality, but you gotta be willing to take that next step. Jesus, he not only sits at the same well as this woman, but then he asked her for water. Now let me break this down a bit because we kind of read through it and we miss it. This woman is Samaritan, and she has been ostracized from society. And we know this because in the text it says that she's drawing water at the sixth hour of the day. Now, to know that time, that means this is about noon, so it's hot. Women drew water in the morning when it was cool outside and so for her to be out in the middle of the day means that she doesn't want to see anybody or that's the only time she can go out there because people have pushed her to the fringes. Now this happens for a variety of different reasons for folks but for her it's most likely because of her immoral past. She's had five different husbands, and the man that she's shacking up with right now is not her husband. So now she's living in sin, defiling the marriage bed with a man that's not her husband. But but, but that doesn't stop Jesus. Amen. Jesus knows all of this, still crosses every boundary racially, culturally, socially, and sin in order to intentionally meet this woman where she is by asking for water. Can I have some water? This woman is a woman that most folks would have never spoken to, not just because of her race, but because of her lifestyle and family. Just to stay in the neighborhood a little bit with you all, here lies many of our problem. This is why oneness doesn't exist. This is why oneness doesn't exist in our communities, in our churches, in our classrooms, in our country, simply because we won't engage people that are different than us things that we deem as less than or problematic. We won't engage, you know, you know, black churches over here, white churches over here, Asian churches over there, Hispanic churches over here. I mean, take a look at your break room during the lunch hour. You got black people over here, white people over here, people, oh, they make money over there. You, you go to the classrooms uh, or students, you know, you got black people over here, white people over here, athletes over there, you know, VSU here, all this other stuff, you got people segregated all around the room, and the problem with that is that it trickles down to our kids. Now our kids only play on the playground with people that look like them, that they're comfortable with, that they like. And listen, when the issue makes it to our children, it just keeps on happening. Now you got generations on top of generations of racial and cultural hatred and divisions that are forming, which is why we can look at our society today and see so much racial hate existent. Still today. I mean, you think about it. Kids growing up in 2024 being racist. 2024, 50 plus years after the civil rights movement and slavery hundreds of years ago. I mean, 2024, still racist. How do you think they got that way? They've been taught. They've been reared in this way. And that's not just happening today. That's in the text. I mean, think about this interaction. I already told you a little bit about the history. Maybe y'all missed it. This is 700 years of hatred, and hostility. Before Jesus and the Samaritan, they wasn't born. But yes, she's in the text like, well, you know what? You asking me for water, Jesus? You know who I am? I'm a Samaritan. Me. You want water from me? And Jesus says, you know what? If you knew who I was, you'd be asking me for water. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you've got to love Jesus. Because from this point on, Jesus kind of spins the conversation. And he, 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 he starts witnessing to her. Because listen, listen, our cultural or racial difference should never outweigh the power of the gospel. She comes with him, at him with cultural reasons to why they shouldn't talk. And Jesus says, okay, okay. But the gospel trumps that. Listen, our cultural differences don't sway or change the gospel. Right. Differences between people aren't wrong. They're just different. Right. Right. They only become wrong when our differences start changing the way That we perceive God and his mission. That's when it becomes wrong. So let's pause here again and saying this might be a little tough for some of you. I got to ask the question, though. Does your blackness or whiteness, whatever ethnicity you are, does it drive your perception of God? Does your heritage or culture drive how or what people you engage with? I mean, This is part of my story a little bit. Some of you know my story. I grew up Gary, Indiana, young black boy in the, in the middle of Gary, all black city at the time. It still is in poverty most of my life, raised by a single mom, three younger sisters, and we didn't have much. Parents get divorced. She moved to Indianapolis when I'm going into high school, and I meet a guy by the name of A.J., A.J., A young white guy who didn't have anything in common with me from the whole other side of the track. Didn't live like me, didn't look like me, didn't eat like me, didn't vote like me, none of that stuff. We didn't have nothing in common. But yet, he engaged me. He brought me under his wing. He started mentoring me, became my coach in basketball, football, and baseball, made teams so I could be on the team. And, And he helped me get into a college prep high school where I played basketball and football and became a phenom in that school. And because of this guy entering my life, it, it, it really, it, it destroyed my whole paradigm. I, I started looking at life totally different because of him. I understood now that white people, or at least some white people, cared about me. And he didn't just do this as a handout. This wasn't some type of white guilt or white savior thing where I got to do this. He didn't just do that and be done with me, no. This man left his place of com- comfort, cultural comfort, and engaged me. And then... Actual comfort because he had MS on top of this. He didn't have to do nothing for me. He's barely walking and making sure I get to my games, making sure I get into the best schools. He didn't have to do this, but he didn't allow his culture or heritage to drive how he engaged with other people. And we should not either. Jesus went out of his way to intentionally engage and die for people unlike him. He's sinless. Most of us are not ethnically Jewish. He died for people unlike him to be reconciled to God. So hear me, if Jesus didn't let his culture or his ethnicity get in the way for dying for us and going out of his way so that we could have a better life then we shouldn't either. This woman in our text, she doesn't get it. She doesn't get what Jesus is doing. He, she doesn't get what he's saying, which is, which is that the gospel, what he's trying to do. In, in Jesus' case, he's saying, I am. I'm much bigger than our difference. Don't miss this, he's saying. I'm much bigger than what you see, the differences between us. He said, she can't get past the differences because it's ingrained in her. This is all she's known her whole life, the differences. And so for verses 7 to 15, Jesus, he, he tries to share truth with her by talking about living water. He's talking about living water or himself. And she's, she's still thinking he's talking about drinking water. Ah, G, G, drinking water, right, you drink over here. And then she keeps pointing out all these different cultural differences. Friends, listen to me, listen to me. This might feel tough too. But at the end of the day, it is simply sin if we let our cultural heritage or skin color dictate who we engage with as Christians. Because what we're basically saying is that I'm not defined by the gospel. I'm not defined by salvation, by faith alone, and what Jesus has done for me on the cross. No, no, no. I'm not defined by that. No, I'm defined by my culture. I'm defined by my ethnicity. And, And hear me, I'm not saying that you shouldn't have value or pride in who you are. I love being a black man. Definitely, all every ounce of it. But that's not what I'm talking about. When that becomes the priority over everything in your life, and your culture drives everything, even your salvation or your belief in Jesus, then now, hear me, it's a cultural gospel. And now your cultural gospel says that I will only worship with people who look like me, dress like me, vote like me, or live like me. And that's totally contrary to Jesus' teaching. Jesus says true believers won't care whether they worship in an all-white, all-black, all-Hispanic setting because at the end of the day, it ain't going to be about the culture. They won't care about that or the skin color. Only thing they're going to care about is me, Jesus. They're going to raise their hands, and they're going to praise me. And I know I only got a few amens because some of y'all are like, well, Derek, where's that in the text? Where's that in the Bible? Well, look at it. Verse 20, the woman says, our fathers worship on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem, that, that's the place where people ought to worship. Basically, she says, y'all worship over there, and you think it's right. We worship over here, and we, we, we know it's right. This is where we worship. We're different, Jesus. And Jesus then basically said, yeah, 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 that's true, but wrong." He then proceeds to explain that there will come a day, if you're looking at the text, he says there will come a day where people will never, won't worship me on this mountain or in Jerusalem, but they'll worship me in spirit and truth. This means that since believers are now indwelled by the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, we're not confined to a building or a space of worship, but we can instead worship anywhere. We can lift up our hands anywhere. He says, those will be my true worshipers. People where their belief is not governed by what they wear or where where they worship. It's not governed by how they worship, but instead, they're governed by who they worship. They're worshiping Jesus. See, that will be all that matters. Listen, when we worship God in spirit and truth, Nothing else matters but truth. Who's the truth? Jesus. She finally understands where he's going with all this. She says, well, I believe in the Messiah, too. I believe he's coming. I believe he's going to show me the way. Verse 25. And he says to her, I am he. That's me. I am he. She then quickly runs off, and she starts telling everybody, I met the Messiah, and she's telling him, he told me everything about myself. He knows my story. And because of her testimony and because of Jesus intentionally crossing all of these lines to get to this woman, you know what happened? Revival breaks out in the land and droves of Samaritans come to know Jesus, which leaves us with this question. Are we living our lives the same way? Are we intentionally engaging people that are different? We live in one of the most diverse cities in the world, which means that we come in contact with people that are different than us, that don't look like us almost every day. Are you intentionally engaging them? The last thing that Jesus does, after understanding the history, after being intentional and engaging this woman, is that he explains his motivation. Jesus' sole motivation in engaging this woman was to see the Samaritans come to know him. He wants the gospel to spread to the utter ends of the world, which brings us to this final point. In order to be multi ethnic and seek reconciliation, we have to be motivated by the gospel. We see in verse 27 to 38, as the disciples come back, uh, they come back now. Jesus has been talking with this woman, she's about to leave. And the text says, they they don't even acknowledge her. They don't don't say anything. And the text says that they marveled at Jesus talking to her. This is not a good marvel. They're looking at him like, Jesus, what you doing, man? We don't talk to them. It's the middle of the day. That ain't your wife. Why are you talking to this woman? And in this moment, they don't say this out loud, but Jesus, being all-knowing, omniscient, He knows what they're thinking, and so he proceeds to illustrate to them and explain to them why he's doing what he's doing. In the middle of this, they still urge Jesus to eat. Eat, Jesus, eat. I know you're hungry. You've been sitting here. We already ate. We had a whole buffet. We come back. We we, we need to give you some food, Jesus. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not hungry. I, I, I got some food that you don't know about. He said, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. I'm not hungry. Then he says, verse 35, I love this part. He says, do you not say that there are four months and then the harvest? And then I love what he says. He says to them, look up. Look up. In that moment, if you can picture it with me, he's saying, lift up your eyes and see the fields are white for harvest. They're ripe for harvest. And at this moment, if you can imagine When they look up, the disciples look up, and they look out on the horizon, and what do they see? See thousands of Samaritans coming towards them. Jesus said, that's why I'm here. I'm here to do the will of my Father. Look, he's telling his disciples, look up. That's what we're here to do. I'm here to do my job. Stop looking elsewhere. Stop looking into your own culture, to people that you're comfortable with. He said, look at them. These people may not look like you. They may not like you. They might not vote like you or eat like you, but they need me, he says. They want me. They're coming to me. He says to the disciples, he says, I've already planted a seed within their heart. And it's your job to go out now and share truth with any and everybody because here's the truth. I am not about to die just for one people group. I died for all people to come to know me. He said, this ain't just about you. This is about the whole world. He's basically saying to us that racial reconciliation or the type of church that we want to grow into, that we are, is not just an outgrowth of the gospel. It's not an implication of good gospel preaching. No, no, no. Racial reconciliation is part of the gospel. I told you about this last week, the cross-shaped gospel. When you look at those two beams, there's a vertical one and there's a horizontal one. The vertical one where Jesus is hanging on, it represents us believing in him and now we're reconciled to God. But that horizontal one with the nails in each one of his hands, it represents horizontal reconciliation where we now get along with people that are unlike us. He modeled that on the cross with the thief that's next to him, has nothing in common with him, but yet he'll be in paradise. That's, that's the cross-shaped gospel. Jesus is telling us as well as the disciples, that his only reason here for engaging this woman was not because I wanted to see racial reconciliation. It wasn't because divisions, I want to see all that cease, but because I'm compelled by my Father's will. And you know what his will is? Is that in in heaven, every tongue, tribe, and nation will be with me. So I got to cross all these dividing walls and lines to get to people that need me. Family, as I said last week. When we get to heaven, I just love imagining it. All different types of people. No divisions, across social or cultural lines, but yet all of us are gonna be there. Different ethnic groups, we won't care, together crying out to Jesus. I yearn for a part of that picture of heaven here on earth. Revelation 7, 10, where we'll all stand before him and praise him, saying salvation belongs to him who sits on the throne. Listen, friends, there's a harvest of people that need to know Jesus. And we cannot let our differences get in the way. If we truly believe in Jesus then our mission in life is to bring the truth about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to all people, even those who don't look like us. Jesus in this text, he intentionally crosses every boundary possible, and he engages this woman who no Jew or even Samaritan would have talked to. And because of his intentionality engaging her, happens, many come to know him. What Jesus did on our behalf is what motivates us to see or want to see racial reconciliation and to be a multi-ethnic church. And I believe if we truly hold tight to the Word of God and we don't let our culture or ethnicity dictate our Christianity, then I believe our church won't just grow in droves. But I believe what we do here on Sunday will trickle out into our city and will change the whole of Chicago. Y'all with me? Amen. 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 Let's be intentional how we live our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this moment. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your goodness. God, I do pray even now. I pray for, I'm, I'm just glad that you have passages like this, Lord. Would you demonstrate to us that nothing should stop us or get in the way of sharing truth, loving others? You didn't do it with us, God, so I just pray that we wouldn't do it with others. I pray for the person that walked in here that doesn't know you, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. And just heard about how you would step out of heaven and come down here for people that are unlike us unlike you sinful don't bring anything to the table but yet you die I pray that the person would believe this morning confess that they've been living their life their own way and put their trust fully in you i pray for all of us too god because i i think we're all faced with this on a day-to-day basis what's Comfortable for us, what's culturally comfortable, what what we believe is right, but yet your word may say something different. God, I know the faith is one of repentance and belief daily. We're always turning away from something and turning back to you. So, God, I pray right now as a church we turn away from those things that we've done. Or believe, let this not be the only place that's diverse in our lives, God. Let us live our lives. In front of other people as believers, God, you have us still here on this earth, not for, not for our good, but for others to come to know you. Our good is in heaven. and So, God, we pray for a picture of heaven, not just in this room, but in our communities, in our lives. And we thank you for calling us at such a time as this. God, protect and keep us and let us grow into the church that you have called us to be.